0: Today we are going to shake things up. We have a special guest in the studio with us today and this happens to be the one and only Attila, the horticulturist. (laughs) So, welcome Attila, it's lovely to have you here.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me.
0: And let me just say that uh, Attila is, so he's, you know, he's a, for our listeners that are around the world, 34 countries, um, Attila is... Shout out to all those in, countries. <laughs> that's right. He's, uh, he's in our region, it probably gets a little harsher than Canberra where he is, he's just out of Canberra a bit. And uh, Attila has an extensive background in horticulture, he has, so... Horticulture, I guess, is his speciality and, you know, his career has probably manifested itself more into professional gardening now. But i tell you one thing, it just blows you away, that shows you what he can really do, is when you go and see his orchard and his productive space. And I always say, high-intensity of gardening. For you. Well done.
2: So welcome to the On Garden Design podcast with longtime friends Fleur and Suchi, where we chat about what makes a garden great and we try to inspire and make designing accessible to anyone who is interested in gardens, plants and chatting. Your hosts are longtime friends Fleur and Suchi, that's me who bring a fresh perspective and their life experience to designing gardens as a second career. You can find us on Facebook and Insta, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, then you'll know when the next episode is available. So you've heard, we're chatting with Attila today and we've got a bit of a, uh, yes, a bit of a rough plan, what we're going to ask him. We're basically going to Extract as much information out of him as we can. So we're going to talk about plant choices. We're going to talk about maintenance. And we're also going to talk about what his advice to garden designers might be.
0: Yeah, now this is going to be great. Look, we really need to stop chatting ourselves, don't we? We have to. We do. We have to. The man. We have to. Yeah. We have <laughs> to. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. 30, so years, 30 <laughs> years into
1: 30 minutes.
0: <laughs> That's okay, right. Yeah, so work. we're going to make this really tough for Attila. But let's start with, I think, on a lot of our listeners – we want to know about plants, and we're going to touch a little bit on that first up. So, first of all, as a expert in plants, what's your criteria for choosing a plant?
1: Number one is probably pest free, and you could call it easy maintenance, or I like to call it obvious maintenance. So the plant shows you what it, how it needs to be maintained. You know whether or not it can be topiary, whether or not it's hand pruning, whether or not it's and then you'll cut back to the ground so that's sort of the some of the criteria the other thing too is is that it has to have a seasonal interest but it has to be able to perform 365 days of the year oh you on that that's so good so (laughs) because a flower is great but a flower will only last sometimes two weeks three weeks if you're lucky it will last longer but it's a very short time for most plants and a lot of the time I find people will focus just on the flower. But it won't always flower the same every year either, whereas the plant will hopefully be there every year. In Canberra at the moment, the rhododendrons are probably the best they've been in a long, long time. The azaleas, same thing. But when the azaleas finish flowering, they look very ordinary.
2: Especially when the thrips get to them. Yes,
1: yeah. Oh, and petal blight and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, so they're my main criteria, And then obviously how frost hardy it is. Um, how well it copes with different soils. So not only can cope with well-drained soils, but heavier soils. And obviously anyone who lives in Canberra, we know we've had three very wet years and now we're going back into a dry year. How do we find a plant that can cope with very wet years, but also now very dry years, hotter weather, Um, but also a plant that can survive September frosts and then two days later, it's thirty degrees. Gosh, so we ask
0: a lot from these plants. We, don't we? Sure ask do. an
1: awful lot, and it's mm. and that's the most difficult thing. And not, you know, looking at yes, we can water, but looking how well we can use the water and how well the plants respond to the water. So there's a lot of things in there. How quickly they respond to a little bit of rain. Yep. So you'll see the difference because Canberra we're often blessed with quite a few thunderstorms in summer and things like that you'll see the plants that are really well adapted because they will respond instantly. So they will like a 20 more storm and all of a sudden they just look so much better. Whereas plants that aren't adapted to our our climate will just sulk and and sulk.
2: And I just have to quickly ask a question because I think one of the things that people get challenged with is you have all these criteria How do you work out what plant fits those criteria? Because often the labels don't reflect. And we were just giggling because, you know, frost hardiness is not necessarily reflected on a plant label when you go into a nursery. So how do you actually work out what the right plants are?
1: So the first thing I did when I moved to Canberra is I walked all the different suburbs. So I would walk all the front streets. I would walk Narrabunda. I would walk Ainslie. I would go into the new suburbs of Isabella Plains, Banks, so I would see what was actually growing. Then I'd go back to those same areas 12 months later and see how well the trees have grown, see what they've done, see if they've got high, see how the maintenance is. Go to commercial spaces, see how well the gardens are there. Go to body corporate areas, and often I would go around and I would try and go when gardeners would be there, and I would go and ask some questions Mm. because that's going to give you the best idea of actually what is happening, you know, in our local area, but. A diversity of local areas so areas yeah. that are well established areas that were brand new so you could actually see a construction site so you can see oh well there's only rock Clay. here yep. you know they've got nothing left and so because it changes so much in canberra like you know.
0: yeah. look that's a great tip for a home gardener is you know if yep. you have to, if you've come to a new area a new suburb or new new sort of space is to have a good look around your neighborhood yep. find out look look what works what's doing well look at the established gardens yeah. and see what's actually looking really good and don't judge a tree by what it looks like in a pot
2: yeah, <laughs> really. Or, or just by the label, because I think they can be really misleading as well. That's right. I'm going to then, let's go into our next question, which is most of our listeners are not in uh, our hardiness zone, which is 9A in Canberra. So what would your top three plants be that would work well in most garden zones? That's a tough question. It is a tough question. Yeah,
1: it's, so Iliagnus. Cross mm. Imbigii, which I think the common name might be Russian olive, but I think that's a slightly different species. But Eliagnus I know will grow from minus 10 to plus 45
0: oh, wow. as a hedge really well, yeah, yeah it's as a
1: screening plant so mm. it, again it's something that doesn't have to be clipped really really tight but it will work as a as a screening plant as a hedge if you've got the space you can just let it completely ramble and do its thing Westringers obviously so oh, any yeah. of the restringers, they're all really good but they definitely benefit from trimming so, you know, and all regular
2: trimming, regular
1: and,
0: and a trimming. A lot of yes. natives do, and a lot of people think it's set and forget. But if you want a good looking native, you've got to keep at Hang it. Hang on,
2: Westringer. Oh, Westringer. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking Wisteria. Where am I? No, no. So,
1: um, <laughs> well, Wisteria is a great <laughs> version. Wisteria will grow in Sydney, Melbourne, you know, here,
2: <laughs> but so, it's a bit wild.
1: Yes, yes. So, um, <laughs> Tucreum fruticans mm. is mm. another really good sort of you know, screening plant. Lagostromians, crepe myrtles, we all yes. love those. They can grow from North Queensland to Tasmania. So they're such a wide... So they, they grow. cope
0: with a lot of rain, do they?
1: Yeah, they're surprising. The only thing is is I know in the Atherton Tablelands they tend to be short-lived because they don't lose
0: their <laughs> leaves...
2: Oh, oh right so okay that, yeah, so they become a evergreen effectively yeah, it's yeah. like a laying
0: chicken it yeah. just goes b- 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 all the yeah. time yes. <laughs> so, <three years>. um,
2: <laughs> i love that analogy <laughs> and
1: then cottonness is really nice as well yeah. although i don't know how well that would do in the humid climates but that's a smoke bush for that's a listeners. smoke bush yeah. yeah so and there's a huge variety of those i mean we could spend three hours just talking on plants, obviously. We sure We'll stop on those because it's quite a big list. But if you walk your neighbourhood, that is the number one key. That's a that's great, tip. great And
0: I reckon that's a great segue into our last question on plant choices, and that is the top three plants that you'd like to see garden designers use more of and less of. Let's yeah. start with the more of because um, – No, no, you know, we'll go less of first oh, less if of. that's okay. all right.
1: We'll do the bad news first. Okay. So this is specifically for Canberra climate. Don't plant birch. Birch. Yes, no totally birch. agree. Birch are done. Birch they're beautiful
2: but not yes. in the climate change world. We're talking because oh, no. they
0: just require too much water for a Well, climate? no, our soil is not right because
1: they're river flat plants so they grow in two metres of gravel with constant water below. Mm. So they need that depth of gravel to grow in and then they've got the water underneath. Canberra doesn't have that, mm. you know, except in a handful of positions we might do. So, so yes, yeah, so they're beautiful. I love them and you've got the paper mark maples, They're incredible but they're just not... A long-term plant, and they fall apart, and they're just not, unfortunately, good enough for us to use. The other one for me is the is the pears. I so, knew you were going to say yeah. this because
2: <laughs> I've been looking at mine, thinking, don't yep. break.
1: <laughs> or then they will all break yes. after a certain period. They'll start from twenty years. Some might make it to thirty years, but all the Calorie pears will eventually split. Now that, break. that's a
0: really interesting one because they are so widely used yes. by the local government for street planting. And for parks and for everything, and and the home gardener, most people yep. have one in their garden. I get way. the feeling
2: though, it was a real trend, it, and it, I think it was. We've it, probably worked out now that we've had them for long enough that maybe they're not. It quite. came out
1: of North America, and so yeah. they were using them, and so we started using them. But their failure rate over there started about ten years before it did here, because they were using them ten years before we mm. did, and they were great. They tick so they tick they every do. box, they yeah. do. every single box. They are fantastic trees, and it. I just I just hate that they don't work and that they fall apart, but they make great pollards. Um, so
2: It'd be fascinating to know if someone is out there trying to hybridise something that actually has not that failure element in it. Well, see,
1: if you can find the correct Manchurian pear, that's a brilliant tree, So mm-hmm. which is the actual Pyrus usurianus. It's mm-hmm. a solid, great grower, but you won't find it anywhere. But Pyrus nivalis, Pyrus silicifolia, they're all fine to use. They're all really solid plants to so use. So it's just
0: the Caliriana. Just the Caliriana clones
1: that are really, mm. really, unfortunately not that great. Bricial. Yeah. Mm. And the other one is Magnolia Little Gem. Unlike, however... i one in my
0: garden. <laughs> however... <laughs> And no, a oh no. and a birch. Oh, oh no! Look, I, I've got
1: three pears, two magnolia little gems, but no birch. So mm. I'm guilty as anybody. I've only got one of
2: them. I'm feeling good, yeah. good now. Um,
1: but Teddy Bear, which is one of the newer clones, is amazing. Like
2: I'm writing that down. Yeah, mm. Teddy Bear. So is, for our
0: listeners, we're talking about the evergreen magnolias.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yep. Magnolia
1: so Grandifor. whereas Little Gem mm. just doesn't seem to perform, whereas Teddy Bear seems to be an amazing one so that one i guess segues so little
0: gem not performing mine's doing so well or maybe i have cape harris yeah. um, okay
1: but it's not a plant that does so it might do well in your garden mm. because you've got shelter much better soil than most of us but what i've seen is is because i go all over is is that teddy bear has performed best in a much wider variety of conditions right and, and I, more exposure and the things like that so whereas Little Gem seems much more fussy about where, uh, where it's planted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, right.
0: so now we know not what to use in our garden, what, sorry, what designers shouldn't use yes. because, you know, they're three things that, I mean, well, I probably don't use birch so much in my designs, but the others I do use. So tell us what you'd like to see designers use more of. Ginkgo.
2: Oh, it's a big tree though. Stinko, not yeah. But if you use <laughs> but the right one, if yeah. you use
1: Princeton Century, ah. um, which is the taller, narrower one, you're not going to get a better yellow yes. color. And a lot of the time that I found that people resisted planting it was is because s- it's much slower than a pear. Y- yes, so it, would it will be. generally, but it will survive, and it's really, really good. And you just don't get that yellow because the entire tree goes yellow and just it and it just. It's just a magnificent tree. Mm-hmm. So uh,
2: it's magnificent when it's just green as well. Yeah, oh, I just love the flower, oh, the leaves shape.
1: It also has a lot of winter interests as well. Mm. So the the bark and the little the little buds are, are just they're just really really good. Like they just, and if you position it right, it's just a fantastic little tree. The other one that I'd love to see more again is, but grown as an evergreen tree, is Luma Piculata, the Chilean myrtle. Mm, um, I don't know that at all. Spectacular bark.
0: I sometimes use it for hedging. Yes. Is that right? Great. Okay. Okay, well, it's got
1: a small leaf. Yes. So I'd prefer to see that as a hedge than viburnum odoratissimum. As yes. I said, the dome plant could be quite big there's as well. well. <laughs> so yeah, Luma because we don't have a lot of evergreen trees that can be managed in Canberra. So, like, That's true. You know, there's conifers, which are great, but they don't have... They're hard to manage, whereas this is a really great tree. You can manage it from three metres to six metres. Mm -hmm. You know, it has multi-trunks, beautiful flowers, great fruit, and possums don't touch it.
2: Oh, bonus.
0: Gosh, (laughs) I I might have to really look into that one because they could have that as a bit of a feature tree if if you prune it right. Yes, yes. And
2: I'm thinking for those people who are thinking, oh, I've got to write this down, we'll put a list on our Instagram of the plants that Attila's talking about in the the haves and the have-nots. And Excellent, yeah. yeah. Some was, pictures too. Yes. As I said,
1: this list could be quite large. The other one of, and I just had to put it on because I'm a Flomis collector, <laughs> would be the Jerusalem Sages. Yeah. So they're very hardy and very long-lived and you've got quite a variety. So a great hardy plant for full sun. But,
0: and it says seed heads that, that yes, go through winter yes. that just look really spectacular yeah. as
1: well. So it has a good interest and it's a great little sort of filler plant. So um, rather than just always using lavender, You can use, but that's one of mine because I'm just biased towards it.
2: (laughs) I think we've all got our biases. Oh, we do, (laughs) I do. And
0: look, I would just love to pepper you with more questions about plants. But you know, we're kind of going to take that theme and and move into the maintenance side of um, our questioning because in plants feature in this. So you see a lot of gardens, right, as a professional gardener. Yes. And uh, we want to sort of, I guess, first of all, understand what constitutes a high maintenance garden. Probably the highest
1: maintenance are Fertinia hedges mm. and Leighton conifer hedges. Mm. They are they are by far and believe it or not, fruit trees.
2: Interesting, because They're, just because of the pruning,
1: the pruning, the pests, you know, potential pests and things like that, and and yeah, they just need more because you got it. You normally do winter pruning, you do summer pruning, and there's a little bit more. It's not hard once you know. But it's always a bit like roses. People tend to go, oh, how do I prune it? What do I do? And things like that. And there are there are key times when you do it. But as I said, I would say for tinia and latent conifer hedges, they, especially for because they can grow so quick. Yep. And latent conifer hedges, if you don't catch them at the right time, then they've grown too far. They're, you end up with big brown patches because they're conifers and if they die out... Then um, they don't grow back. Yeah, they don't grow mm-hmm. back. But they just need a lot because you need... In the growing season, there's one latent hedge that I do. You might be doing it every four weeks.
2: Oh, wow, that's intensive. You know,
1: to keep it looking, like, really good. So, you And know, they can
2: get so big as well.
1: They will get very large if they're not hedged.
2: Yes. They're so, a good
1: windbreak if you have a rural property. Well, they? yeah, they're a useless windbreak. <laughs> oh, are like they? So, yeah, so. a <laughs> big
0: brown patch, which is a hole where the wind goes yeah, through. that's right. Well, the, problem, the wind tunnel.
1: <laughs> well, that's what they create because they – they lose their lower limbs and the wind just hits them and flows straight in underneath.
0: Oh. <laughs> you see them all the time. I know, but that's because you people see them all the time and then mean.
1: people go, oh, that's a good windbreak. <laughs> so it's great, it's great as part yeah. of a shelter belt, but you wouldn't just have them. Yeah, yeah um, right. Interesting. Uh, definitely not rurally because if you have a fire, then your windbreak's gone. <laughs>
2: That's true. That yeah. is very true. So
1: you always plant trees that respond back. So yeah, yeah so that's the surprising because I was thinking about this mm. question, what is the most high maintenance thing? And mm. and
0: definitely those the hedging. Like the hedging. Are, there, are there other like features or sort of um, you know, other elements that people put in their gardens? escaping even. Yeah, that, that is a high maintenance issue for you as a like as a gardener, are you still involved in looking at other accessories in a garden? Well, decking probably
1: if you want to oil it and you need to do that. That's definitely one of the um, so Most of the people that I garden for, they've either done tiles, they've got rid of the deck, so they don't have any maintenance anymore with the decking, or they just let the they just let the deck go grey. Silver, yeah. Yeah. So they don't have any maintenance on that. It's a very sensible
0: idea, I think. What about ponds and water features? Do you get involved in those? I have no ponds or water features. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because a lot of people want them, but I always think they're they really are a commitment. I used to to have one manage it. Yeah. So I used
1: to have one pond that I looked after and he goes it's losing a lot of water i said okay i can waterproof it and do all the stuff with it and fill it with fiberglass and i dug it out and it's just like here's your problem there's a half-inch root growing straight through the bottom of the oh. pond. Oh. So that's where the water's going. <laughs> and so, yeah. but that was a
2: plant doing really well yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> it,
1: it was. Everything was doing – because it wasn't losing a lot of water because the root was almost plugging the hole itself, so it was just slowly leaking out <laughs> I'll tell you, around it. Those plants, it. they've
0: got brains, oh, don't they? They do they, yeah. yeah. So
1: They're
2: tapping um,
1: in. But, yeah, ponds are definitely a, a higher maintenance. But, as I said, most of my mm. – all they have now is water bowls. And then a lot of them are put in insect bowls, so they're much shallower with yeah. rocks and little things. So are easy to clean out and, yeah, and maintain. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then Absolutely. the bees can swim out and they you yeah. see them, they lined up around the edge, you know, drinking from it and then off oh, they go gorgeous. and things like that. So. Mm. It's
2: a good alternative to a pond. Having just yes. done my yeah. clean, my annual clean out of my pond, which is a horrible job.
1: Yeah, yeah. so well, the one that tip. most people use would probably be that I've seen would be the urns on a big sump. Mm. So that way, you've just got your feature, and then the water, the water just spilling over, spills it. over, and it's quiet enough mm. so that it's not annoying when it's quiet at night.
2: Does it means it, you don't feel like you need to go to the toilet yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah,
1: and they're really mm. easy to. Because if you just get one of those big drainage sumps, which has got, yeah. which you can put a ton on top of them, it's just really super easy to do. You just cut a hole. Your pump is in there, or you've got a pump externally. So, but yeah, no water features would definitely be up there. But as I say, I don't do. I definitely don't do water features.
2: And this, and I guess the next question is really almost the, I guess uh, the follow-on to this. So, what have you seen designers and home gardeners design into their gardens, which eventually ends up being a maintenance headache?
1: The biggest thing that drives me insane is planting too close to the fence or the house, ah. um, because maintenance five years down the track, you've got a plant that is now sideways. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, if it was, you know, if it, God forbid, it was just a hedge around the boundary, planted 30 centimetres from the fence, it's always sideways, it's impossible to maintain, and 20 years down the track, when they want to replace their fence, they then have to remove their hedge, because that's in the way. Or trees, or anything like that. So it's about also considering what the neighbour, you know, are you going to be shading the neighbour if you planted something that's too tall on the fence, like calorie pears, which are now 11 metres tall? 30 centimetres from a fence. dropping limbs over to your neighbour's side. Dropping limbs. Gift. And also pushing the fence over. Oh, yes. I was about
2: to say, I have a latent Mm. cypress hedge behind my house Mm -hmm. and my partner calls it the Great Wall of China. Yeah. (laughs) Because
1: it's huge. Yeah, and so that is, and then too close to the house. Yeah. So, again, because we're planting plants that might be 30 centimetres tall that get three metres So when they're little, it's all great. Thankfully, we don't have rubber trees in Canberra, so, you know.
2: (laughs) Yes, that's right. There are some benefits of not being in a tropical area. Yes, so
1: we don't have any fig trees that are just plonked at the back door and just happily growing and destroying houses. So that's, that's a... That's a blessing. So it's about
0: really think about what you're putting close to the house. What could disrupt the foundations, and also what are you putting on your boundaries that are going to cause an irritation to your neighbour or? But even that maintenance, in, maintain.
2: that yeah, that maintenance mm. uh, issue. If you need to access your fence at any point, or you know you need to access your house wall to repaint, if it's too close, it's going to be really hard.
1: But the other thing, especially with say just a plain hedge, if it's further from the fence and that and the back side is facing north I can get a lot more light through to the hedge and so it'll actually be thicker because I can hedge it on the fence side really thickly and on the other side whereas if it's too close to the fence you tend to find you get a lot more light through it so you're not getting that nice sort of screening effect Mm. rather than if you can and then I've got complete control of it because I can hedge all sides of it yeah don't have to worry about the neighbour not hedging it because you see that all the time you see this hedge that's a metre over into the neighbour's property because, you know, they're not interested in gardening or anything like that and so then you can't get access to it and so there's a whole heap of things and that would be my number one thing that, you know, drives me the most insane. (laughs) Well, Um, I think
0: you've been in a lot of gardens, you've seen a lot and what we we thought we'd ask you is if you had any clever, and until now, secret, um, (laughs) because they're not secret anymore, any um, clever maintenance hacks that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, I don't know if it's really a hack, it's just something so... If you have to reduce the height of a, of a hedge or a tree or something like that or, you know, or it's growing over a path, so often I see, okay, I want that hedge at two metres high and so it gets reduced back and it was three metres high and it gets reduced back to two metres. And it's like, well, that's the height you want it at. I'm going to take it down to 1.5 metres because you wanted it two metres. So I'm going to take it down further so that the regrowth comes back and I can actually make it much thicker Because as soon as it regrows, it's not going to be two metres anymore. It's going to be two and a half metres. And same with off a path. So if you want access, you go, they cut it right on the line of the path. They go, no, no, we'll go further back. So then therefore we can get it thick and then we don't have to cut it back every year. Then it can stay. You know, it's much easier. It'll be three or four years before we need to worry about it again if it's gotten too big. So that's probably my main one that I see. It's just like, no, nope, two metres. I said, no, no, I don't want it. No, 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 trust me. It's, it, it'll regrow. It's plants. It's not architecture. It's not a building. You know, the <laughs> whole idea. But also it's timing the pruning as well is probably mm. the big one, especially for anything. So if you've got deciduous trees, like evergreen hedges. So for 10 years, if you need to rejuvenate them, you're doing them sort of before they flower in the end of July,
0: Will that stop them flowering?
1: That'll stop them flowering. Thank God. Everyone Um, take note of that. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. And And you can cut them back really, really hard then and they will respond really quickly. The thing is you're not going to be looking at dead, open plant for very long. Yes. Mm. Whereas with a pertosporium, if you need to reduce it, you would wait until about the end of September because it hasn't moved yet. So So the
2: timing's really important when you do something like this. So that way
1: you're not looking at a bare, ugly, hacked back, you know, because there's... it's very difficult to make something that you're reducing look really pretty. Yes. Like it's going to look fairly ordinary. There's going to be some
2: woody stuff happening. Yeah,
1: and so it's all about learning that timing with the different plants. And then, yeah, so the other thing too is so I do a lot of pollarding, so that's taking things back to a particular point year after year after year. But I'll also look at the weather and how happy the tree is. So during really hot, dry weather, like the previous summer, I won't necessarily pollard every year just to give the plant a break when um, yeah, right. so it's that, already struggling. Yeah, so yeah. like, so we do cottonus a lot of the time. So smoke bush, we'll use, we'll just pollard it because it looks fantastic with the new growth. Mm. So the last few years has been easy because they've grown a lot. Crape myrtles is another one because, you know, you pollard them. But again, it's just timing, looking at the weather, looking how happy the plant is, not stressing it more than it needs to be.
2: So, right. I mean, this is really saying to me, for people who are, you know, gardeners and garden designers, you need to know about the horticulture of plants to make the right choices at the right time as well. It's not just about reading the label in a nursery and going, oh yeah, that sounds about the right colour and shape for my garden. There's a whole lot more that you want to be thinking about if you want your garden to look good into perpetuity.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of garden designers, a lot of home gardeners, a lot of, well, landscape architects, you know, people in this sort of profession, they don't come to designing gardens from a horticultural background. So what are the planting mistakes you often see in planting designs that landscape architects and garden designers are making?
1: Probably the two that I see most commonly because I've done a variety of different landscape architects gardens so I've maintained them from essentially the day after they were installed to coming two years after they've been installed so the thing that I see is overplanting, which is especially when you've got a blank space and I understand because it's just People want something there because they don't want a bear. Yeah. So what I often ask is plant things, and, it, and it's much better now, is that they'll plant just quick-growing things. In between, just to fill that space, and then they'll be the nurse plants, or the sacrificial plants, and then
2: pioneer plants. Yeah, and they might
1: only be, they might only last a year, or they'll throw annual seed out, or something like that, just to get that ecology going. And so, I love
0: that. That's that's a great great idea. It
1: looks good really quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: And the other one, and this is really hard because it's not the designers' intent, and they, and they don't really have much say in the matter, but they often plant the shade-loving plants at the start of the design around the new tree. And there's no, no shade. shade. Yes. And the poor yes. things get absolutely fried. <laughs> and it's really hard to articulate to the client that, okay, we need to come back in five years' time because this is shady now. Mm. Now we plant it. But they're like, I want it done now. And it's just like, okay. And then why is this plant looking so odd? Because the shade isn't here yet. And so
0: <laughs> – I struggle with that, actually. Yeah. And I often say to particularly clients who are going to do their own planting, I'll say, you know, these are the plants that I want you to wait. I want you to hold off, <laughs> if you can, until we get some canopy. Um, get those trees in straight away. But, you know, people are impatient. They want to put them in. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where, you know, I know in my, my own garden I've moved, you know, I've got a rose bush underneath the Calirata pear because, and it's struggling because it's just it's too shady.
1: Oh, look, <laughs> if plants at my house could have a frequent flyers card, I could, <laughs> I could fly first class around the world daily. Like it's just I've moved so many plants yes. and that's what you do because it changes But everything has to be in ecology. It has to have, you know, you're starting with something that's new. So you're going to have all those pioneer plants and then until they get in, it's like everything needs, eventually you'll get the diversity of age, but you need that. Like it's just, and that's what we're trying to create is that diversity of age in the garden. You're pulling things out, they naturally die or you just cut them back and that's what they are. Like some plants only last four months, some will last six months, some will last 600 years. So you've got a full ecology to think about. And so when I go into people's gardens and it's new and I said, well, it takes me 12 months to get my head around it. And I said, I have a 20 to 30 year plan for your garden. I'll be gone, you know, but I have that's the plan I have for your garden. It's a long term. You know, I'm thinking of that for 40 years down the track. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah. So I said, I'm not looking at tomorrow. I'm looking at 40 years time.
2: So the the moral of this story is with a garden, you need to be patient. And I'm starting to think that there's always two phases to a garden. There's the hot phase when it's young and it's being established and then at some point, because I'm dealing with this in my garden now, it becomes a shady garden. And then you're trying to find things that work in the, in that space. And I spend most of my time moving stuff at the moment <laughs> from, you know, trying to find another space yeah. where the hot thing's is going to still so survive. How, how
0: does a home gardener who's listening to us get some hope out of this? <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> I mean, there's plenty to do. <laughs> <laughs> You'll remain fit <laughs> for the gym, rest of your life. Gym membership for life. <laughs> That's right.
1: And the main thing is just practice it. Yeah. Like just practice and observe. And so don't you, be afraid. Just don't be afraid. afraid. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just just practice and just fill your garden like if you're new just fill your garden up with what we call like you know the potatoes and pasta plants you know you've just you know (laughs) the carbs (laughs) yeah just fill your garden up with carbs because you know that they're going to do really well look don't Like plant McDonald's plants, but don't plant a thousand of them so your place looks like a McDonald's car park, you know. That would be Nandina's. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which I have Nandina's at home. But when you see how they're used differently, like people hate them. But when you see them used under Japanese maples, they look completely different. And so, as I said, I don't need to do anything to them except a once a year prune. That's it. They don't need any water, nothing. And so my garden is Full of carbs, absolutely chock a block. And then I've got a sprinkling of truffle over here, a little bit of caviar over there. Yeah, and so you hide your precious plants. I want to come and eat at your garden. Yeah, you you (laughs) hide and you put these precious plants in once you once you're confident you go, Oh, I want a little collectible or this or that. Yeah. Because we all do we've all got, you know, all these bog standard plants. And that's and just practice and just keep planting and don't be afraid to move it and
2: and they are the foundation really of a garden they're, they're the things that give it structure and that's what we need to be thinking about so if,
0: you know, so if a designer can put in the structure and then the home gardener needs to take on that longer term vision of saying i'm going to personalize it with the caviar and those type of it um, that's the, what i bit of seasoning
1: i recommend or uh, someone goes oh you know i said no get a designer in i said you absolutely must get a designer in so they will set they will set your garden up. They'll yeah. set all your... Set the bones. Yeah, yep, well, they'll yeah. set your views from inside the house. They'll set where the trees are the right. They'll get the shading right. They'll get all these sort of things right. The hardscaping, if you want it, they will get all that right. They will do that. And then we can just do all the peripheries, you know, which is what it is. It's sort of like we're doing the painting. We're just finishing off doing the decorating. And, and that's the easy stuff because it doesn't... It's like if you paint a wall bright fluorescent green you go oh that didn't work you can just paint over it (laughs) (laughs)
2: that's right but to have the wall in the right place and you know in a in the right design mode (laughs) for the rest of the house well
1: especially a tree because the designer can get the tree in the right spot yeah you know and that's really important because that's going to be a long-term thing whereas the other little stuff is easy to 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 work around um but yeah i always say no get a designer in get them to talk talk to you get them back and you know then they can do a whole plan for you but it, particularly how it relates to the house as well yes. which is really really important because a lot of people especially in canberra for four months of the year will spend a lot of time inside because it's cold and we'll be looking outside and it's just like no think about what you're looking Out, Yeah, that's Mm. right. Which is Enda Walling always talked about that.
2: Yes. So I feel like we've almost covered our last question, which was what advice or wisdom would you impart to a designer? But I think the fact is you've actually said that, you know, to a home gardener you give this wisdom that people should go to a designer, which I think is an extremely good bit of wisdom. (laughs) But do you have other bits of wisdom or advice that you would give to a garden designer? Just have fun
1: with it. I can just trial different things. It's just like we all trial different things. And I think, you know, if you – I think between designers and horticulturalists, like, we're different but we're also together. Like, because, one, a good design – and I've banged on about this before – but a good design, a world design garden, if it isn't properly maintained, it loses all that design integrity. And I always say, look, you've spent so much on this, get it maintained – don't wait three years after it's been planted. Get me in straight away if you can, you know, get <laughs> me in because I'm not busy with everything else. But that's the main thing. Get it in. Get the maintenance going really early, especially the trees and the framework and all the rest of it. That's the really that's the most important. I went in Hartley on the weekend and there was three gardens that were all done by designers. They were all completely different, but you could tell. I think you mentioned this last week, um, Fleur, Is is that you could tell the gardens were designed. Mm. You could see mm. where everything was positioned just right, the paths, the widths of the paths, the, the, the widths of the garden bed. Everything was just right. Everything felt so right. Whereas when you go to a garden that isn't designed, it just doesn't, it's nice, but it doesn't feel as right as this well-designed garden. It hangs garden. together
2: yeah. and feels like a whole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's
0: really refreshing that you can see that. Because, you know, that's sort of from our perspective as designers, that's really what we want to achieve. We want to be that. For a lot of people, they can't they can't quite work out why it feels good and feels right, but they just know yeah. it does. Yeah, ab- So it's great absolutely. that you can uh, observe yeah. that and let us know that. Well, and not everything needs
1: to be topied either. And so I see that too often is, is just like all they'll do is everything is hedged. <laughs> you know, everything is bald. And all, it's, uh, no, 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 if it's all bald, it loses its impact. It's just like, no, something can be hand pruned and et cetera. So... You know, it's just knowing what the maintenance is, how obvious it is, just getting out there and doing it, but trying to maintain that design integrity and going back to the design as well. Yeah. Having a look at what the initial design was and going, and then five years later, it's like, well, call the designer back and say, look, this is how it's changed. A neighbor might have built a new house or their trees growing or all this, all these things. So it's just, it's constant observation. Mm. It's a constant observation and it's not static. Yes. Like yeah. we say, we grow plants, not bricks.
2: That's right. That's so true. <laughs> you know, so and true. And
1: yeah. I think you mentioned it. We're dealing with growth. Yes.
2: Yeah, Ev- it's dynamic. Evolution. That's it's right. continuing to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's been such
0: a treat to have you, Attila. And honestly, we could go on and on. If you want to follow, because uh, he's a full of wisdom, follow our uh, Instagram, Attila the Horticulturist. And uh, and you can see you know, the depth of his knowledge and some really great tips. And I love the fact that you put so much information on your posts. I learn a lot from that. So thank you.
2: We've all stolen some of your plant lists. Good, good. (laughs) It's just,
1: I want to make as much of the resources that are in my mind that I know that have worked just so people just enjoy gardening and they're not frightened to try it and they're just, they're happy to go with it.
2: I think we're going to have to wrap it up at that point. And thanks so much, Attila. For those who are listening, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Fantastic. See See you later.